You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Hey, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you out as you grab your Bible from the seat underneath in front of you or if you've started carrying your own here. Uh, I thank you so much for doing that. I hope you're still enjoying uh, reading along through the F-260 plan. Everybody in with us now? I've seen several more join this week. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it so encouraging every day to, uh, to read his word and to see the comments that other people make and the, the thought processes, knowing that... People have the same questions that you do, that I do, about what God's doing in that particular passage of Scripture. Well, this week, we continue. This is week three of our series. We continue by going to Genesis chapter 22. Chapter 22 is where we pick up this morning. While you're finding your place, please join me in thanking the guys who came out at 7.30 this morning when we all woke up and saw there was snow on the ground and made a way for us. We will always, we will always have a way for you to get here. If you're able to get out and to be here, we want to never give up the opportunity to be together. And already this morning, um, I've heard one story of one person who was here uh, who has not been here for something in the past, and they were here today. And if we had said, oh, let's just hold off, let's meet later, let's meet next week, we would have missed that opportunity for that person that God had prepared to be here today. And we will never, I never want to be that person. Do you? Never. Well, join me in celebrating the baptism of Kaylina Young last Saturday night. We're excited about her. Joe Dita and his commitment, recommitment to the Lord. We're so excited for what God's doing in his life. Well, if you were here with us last weekend or watched online, you know that we were introduced to a man by the name of Abraham. And at the age of 75, God made a promise. He made a covenant with him. And, and, and he gave him three, three promises in this one. Uh, the first promise was that he would give Abraham a land. He would give him a land. The second promise is that, what is the second promise? Thank you. That he would, you guys failed the test. You're supposed to, Bigelow's the only one who knew. His second promise, right? Remember that God would make him into a great nation. Basically, he would make a dad, a family who had been infertile, fertile. And Myrtle would have a baby, right? Sarah, later at the age of 90, would have a child. And that third promise, the third promise is, is that through his offspring, through this nation, God would bless every, every living person. And in chapter 22, we come to one of the most moving accounts in the Bible. And that is God's command to Abraham to sacrifice this son of this promise. You remember at the age of 100, Abraham had his son, his only son, Isaac. And he loved this boy. And now God is calling him in chapter 22 to do the unthinkable. In fact, it's something that we struggled to wrap our minds around again this year at home. Every time we look at this account, we have questions. Why would God do this? 
Well, this morning, where God took Abraham is where God seeks to bring each one of us, and that is to trust him through the tests of life. And so let's do what we've been doing. Let's grab our Bibles. Let's stand together. This time I want you to hold his word right up close to you. If you've got your phone, it's a good time to put it on silent mode, airplane mode. But let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that we hold so close to us. And Father, it's our prayer, it's your desire for us that we would take this word and we would plant it deep into our hearts that it would be your word that would guide our path and guide our decisions. And today, as we're reminded that not only are you a great promise keeper, but Lord, we can trust you in the tests, in the trials, in the hardships that come along in our lives where it's unclear how things are gonna work out, but we know your promises and we know that you are a promise keeper, and so we trust you. And today, Father, for those who will trust you for the first time, I'm so excited for them to have this revealed in their life. And for all of us, Father, who have trusted you and have seen you in the way that Abraham is going to see you today, well, Father, we are eternally grateful. It's why we're here. It's why we offer ourselves to you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your sacrifice for us, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, we read these words. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 says, Sometime later, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, you and I, we know from the beginning here that this is a test. But Abraham doesn't know this yet. For Abraham, it is something that is going to test him big time, but he doesn't know. He doesn't know how this is going to unfold. He goes on to say, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, the region of Moriah, I want you to circle that because we're going to come back to this region over and over again, and even as we move into the new Testament. You go to the region of Moriah, you sacrifice Isaac there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Anybody here a good test taker? A good test taker? Right? We got a couple really smart people in the room, right? I am not a good test taker, right? And that's mostly because of my lack of intelligence, all right? But for many of you, many of us, we just lock up when we take a test. Anybody experience that? I, I know several. My niece is one of them, you know, that took the nursing exam. And, and I know several nurses who get ready for that exam. They are intelligent. They are capable. They are so ready. But when that test comes, they just lock up. And sometimes it takes two or three times. Uh, I'm an accountant by education, CPA exam, same way. Lock up if you're that kind of a test taker. The teaching license that our teachers have to go after. There's just those moments when we stumble over ourselves with taking tests. But what about the tests that come along in our faith? How do we perform when those tests come? How do we look at these tests in our life? 
Well, let's continue on in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Now, God's teaching us something about trust here. I want you to notice a couple of things that should stand out to you. And that is, first of all, once again, Abraham did not sit on this command. Abraham didn't put it off. Notice Abraham got up early the next morning. He made his preparations and off they went. Now, if I had been Abraham, I I would have gotten up and... and, uh, And I would have thought, well, the weather's not going to be that great today. Let's maybe tomorrow be better. God God wouldn't want me to go out in this kind of weather or this kind of situation. Uh, I would have forgotten something, right? I would have forgotten something. So I'd have to go back to the house and and maybe start again tomorrow. Uh, Abraham didn't forget the firewood. He didn't forget the fire. He could have forgotten it. Right? And said, sorry, God, I, I forgot this. You know, we got to go back and, and, and we'll get going again in a couple of days after we've rested up because we already walked so far. None of those excuses. God's teaching us something about trust. All we know is that Abraham got together a wood he needed for the sacrifice and his son, and they head for the place that God had told him. And that had to be some walk. And I think all of us at some point have had that kind of walk where you know, you know you've got a challenge ahead of you. And don't your feet get heavy sometimes as you're making that journey. And I would say that Abraham's feet were pretty heavy. We don't know what they talked about, but I know that both of their minds had to be filled with thoughts one of which being whether or not he was going to stay the course and actually do what God had asked him. In verse 5, it says, Three days later, they arrive at the foot of the mountain. And it's there that Abraham says these infamous words to his servants. You stay here. We will go and worship, and we will return. Now, right away, that we really stands out to me. Not the first we, but the second we. Right? He's going up the mountain to do what? To sacrifice Isaac. How is Isaac going to return? Well, he might return as burnt toast because that's what's going to happen to him. As he's going to be cut in half, just like we talked about last week, he's going to be laid on the altar and the fire of God's going to consume that offering. And so all that's going to be left is a little dust, little crumbs. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that no matter what, we're going up there to worship and we're going to be right back here with you. You talk about faith. He sure come a long way. He sure come a long way from Hagar. He sure come a long way from Egypt. He sure come a long way in his trust of God. The book of Hebrews tells us later that Abraham reasoned in his mind. We get a little insight into why Abraham said, and we will come back, because Abraham reasoned that God would bring his son back from the dead. 
All Abraham knew is that one way or another, God was going to keep his promise. And what was that promise? That through his offspring, through this boy Isaac, his promise was going to continue. That nation was going to continue to be built. That blessing that we know in Jesus Christ was going to come through him. And so one way or another, God was going to make it work because God promised. Remember, Faith, your faith and mine is trusting God's promises. That when God promises, even though we can't see how he's going to do it or what the outcome's going to look like, we know, we trust in those things that we have yet to see. This is what our faith is. Faith is believing against all hope. And that's the part of the journey that you and I are going to see repeated over and over again in our lives. Will we trust him that way? Will we go the distance based on his promises into the unknown? Verse 6. As Abraham and Isaac went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father... Yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? The boy's been around for a while, hasn't he? He's seen his Lord be worshipped by his father. He's seen sacrifices. He understands what's necessary. Abraham answered, God himself, Isaac, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. You know, it's one thing to have faith and to trust when it's just you. But then you get married. And now you've got a family that you're responsible for providing for, for caring for. God blesses you and you have the opportunity to adopt a child or to birth a child and you now have responsibility, and that has a big, big weight along with it. And sometimes that blessing that God, those blessings that God has given you, sometimes become a hindrance in our trust of him. Because not only are we trusting him for us, but when our children are young, when our unbelieving spouse is struggling, we have to carry the weight for them, too. It's just a side note, but it's worth mentioning, and that is Isaac could have resisted his father. Uh, that's no surprise to us today. We see children, we see teenagers resisting their parents' instruction all the time. Even among the most faithful, we see this happening. Not only is Abraham 100 years old, Isaac's a teenager. Isaac's ready to do life his own way. He's ready to get on with things. He could have very easily said, you know, Dad, I'm just not up to making the trip this morning. Hey, hey, Dad, you know that 8 o'clock's awful early to get up and go. I'll be up after lunch. I'll catch up with you there. Verse 9 when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar 
bound his son, I bet that was exciting, put him on the altar, drew his knife, and as he was about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. It says, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket was a ram with its horns caught there in the thicket, and he took that ram, and instead of his son Isaac, who by this time, I'm sure Abraham had taken the ropes off of him, given him a hug, he now had this ram bound, cut in half, the fire blazing as the Lord consumed that Offering And it says, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And oh, how God has provided in that place, that region of Moriah, throughout his word. Three takeaways I want you to consider this weekend when it comes to trusting God through the tests of life. First is this, many times the test isn't to prove anything to God but for us to discover just how deep our faith is and how deep our faith can be. Most of the time, the test isn't to prove anything to God. Now, the angel of the Lord here said, now I know. Now I know that you fear the Lord. And so in this case, as in other times, God did see his faith proved. But I submit to you that it was as much for Abraham as it was for God. It's important for us to understand that tests and trials come in our life. James 1.1 says that we should rejoice when trials come because perseverance is developed. Faith is developed as we trust in him. See, God's goal is to bring us to the point of ultimate surrender to him. Verse 1 reads, sometime later, sometime later, that is after the events of chapters 12 through 21, that's how tests work. Tests are there to measure our progress, what we've learned, what we still need to learn. Abraham's deepening faith was certainly a progress. Remember the first test? Remember the first command that God gave him? Back in chapter 12, what was it? Abraham, leave your household. Abraham, leave your father and mother. Leave the land that you're on and go to a land that I'm going to later tell you about. Remember that test? How did he do? I'd say he gets a 90%. I'm not one to give 100%, right? There's always got to be a little doubt. But let's give him a 90% for that one. That was a great, great start. He did great. Next was the famine when Abraham found himself lying to Pharaoh about Sarah being his wife. Hey, honey, you just go on with Pharaoh. You take care of him so that I can get some more sheep, so that I can get some more servants because you're so hot that they're liable to kill me and take you anyway. So why, why don't you just go, what a wonderful man. Who wouldn't want to marry a man like that? What a loser, right? He got a negative 20 on this one. No faith at all. 
scared to death. After that, he went to battle against four kings to save his nephew Lot. Boy, if you put this on a chart, it'd be like this. He was right back at the top. How brave. He trusted God, four kings. Then the thing with Hagar, well, that's about as major a mistake as you could make. What a failure in waiting on God. I want you to think just for a moment. It just didn't occur to me until just before I got up that this process of Abraham's testing of his faith, it is so similar to, to my walk. Luckily, there are no Hagars. No Ishmael's hiding out there. But think about it. The very first thing that we do is we come to faith in Jesus Christ, and sometimes we have to leave. We have to leave our family's beliefs. We have to leave what is familiar to us. And we get in that watery grave of baptism, rise new. And then we have that first challenge, right? A little famine comes in our life. Sometimes right away we're tested. Just like Jesus, right after his baptism, was taken into the, the desert, right? And, and was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And sometimes in those famines, that's where our faith is tested. Are you going to stay the course? Or are you going to go where you can feel a little more comfortable, a little more at home? At the age of 21, Jim Elliott, who was martyred in Ecuador just seven years later, can you imagine? He wrote these profound words. One does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. Doesn't that make sense? The Christian life is a process of surrendering all of myself that I know to all of God that I know. Now, when you're 13 or 14 and your faith, you, I have no doubt that when, uh, when I was 10 and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ in baptism, all the things that I knew about myself at that point, I surrendered to him, right? But then when you get a little bit older and you start having girlfriends and you realize that there are many other things in your life that you need to surrender to him. You go on to college and you realize the pull these days, these wacko people that were in our colleges and universities. Who am I gonna trust? You, you see what I'm saying? As we grow, I, I, there's a whole new set of things to surrender to God when we're aged. In the same way with God, do you know, did you know yesterday how much you know about God today? A absolutely not. And so as we discover new things about God and his expectations, all of a sudden we have more to surrender to him. The Christian life's a process of surrendering all of ourselves that we know to all of God that we know. Here's the second takeaway, and that is every test stems from the love of God. You wonder where these tests come from? You think of he's being cruel in these tests, that he's trying to trick you up? No. Every test stems from the love of God who knows that we're going to be more blessed 
as we trust him more, when we trust him the most. Let's be frank, God's command to Abraham to sacrifice his son is over the top, though. It seems so unloving. In fact, the heathen Canaanites in whose land Abraham was living, this was a regular practice of theirs, that they would sacrifice their children to these inanimate, these false, these idols, these false gods. And so here it appears that God is no different than any of them. Asking a man to sacrifice his flesh and blood, his own son, something that God would condemn over and over again. So how can God command Abraham to do this terrible thing that he later forbids? That's the question of the day, isn't it? It's one that Christians, including this one, my wife and family that we have wrestled with over the years. So let me help you through that wrestle. The first is this. Remember, this is a one-time command that is never and will never be repeated again. This is a one-time command. Never has God and never will God tell you to take your child and to slay that child for him. That's not him. So why did he do it this time? Well, that's reason number two. This command was designed to illustrate what God himself would do with his son on the cross. So instead of being something that's against God's love, it demonstrates his love in an unforgettable way. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Most importantly, by taking Abraham up to the very point of killing Isaac, the Lord allowed Abraham to enter into something, to enter as closely as any man could into God's experience in sacrificing his only son. Now, it's, it's a different context, but remember, as Christ followers, we are to expect to share in the sufferings of Christ. And so right here, Abraham is sharing in the heart of God He's getting an inside look at what God felt and what God experienced when he would give his own son for us. And how do we know that God's loving in every command? Verse 2 shows us that he's sympathetic to Abraham's feelings when he says, Abraham, you take your son. You take your only son. The son that you love, the son that you love. Every test stems from the love of God who knows that we will be blessed the most when we trust him the most. Friends, there are times in our Christian journey where we come to certain scriptures, that we come to certain commands that at the moment seem so unfair to us. They seem so difficult to embrace, and we have a couple of choices. Many times we become like the world and we say, well, that's not really literal there. 
you know, that's just an inference or that, that's just a, an example. So God doesn't really expect that from me. Yeah, yes, he does. What do you do at a time like that? When you come up against these hard truths that seem contradictory, you can't take the Bible literally. That command doesn't apply to me. It was just for that culture. And so people skate around the different doctrines and commands of Scripture, but, but that's not trust, is it? At best, it's selective trust. Abraham obeyed promptly, and Abraham obeyed completely. Why? Because for Abraham and for us, trust is an act of worship. Trust is an act of worship. I um, get concerned sometimes when I hear us say things like, let's worship some more. Let's do worship. Let's, let's sing some old songs, some more familiar songs. Let, let's, let's, why should we have drums or a guitar in worship? Since when did music have anything to do with worship? I'll tell you how it started. So years and years ago, there was music in the bars. Friday, Saturday night, the bars were full. They could afford a piano in a bar. Churches couldn't afford to have a piano. How they bought an organ, I wish they'd never gotten into those things. But they would take that piano, and they would take it out of the bar Saturday night or early Sunday morning. They'd roll it across the street to the church. And all of a sudden, that piano that used to play in the honky-tonk is now leading us in worship before God. From there, from there, worship has, has become a word. It's an action that's limited to music. But let me suggest a different paradigm to you, and that is that music is an expression, and it's a wonderful expression. But music is an expression of the worship that we have given God in all the areas of our life that we've trusted him with throughout the preceding six days of the week. And so when we come together, we try to find every way, and there is nothing more moving, there is nothing more expressive than the songs that we sing and the songs that are bathed in Scripture Listen, I've heard these songs that we sing 20 times to every one time that you've heard them. And so there are times when a song is played and I'm like, oh, we're going to play this song again. Dan feels that he feels it more because he's heard them 40 times to every one time. But then I listen to the words and I'm reminded of what I've experienced in the past or in that week as I've trusted God. Trust, my friends, is the act of worship. Abraham didn't pat himself on the back for being so dedicated. He also didn't feel sorry for himself and what he was giving up for the Lord. Instead, he was awed by the majesty and worthiness of God, realizing that no gift was too great to give him. And if you and I hesitate 
If we do not obey the difficult commands of God, it may very well be that we have lost focus of just who he is and who we are. We are his servants, and we bow down in worship to him. Trust, by definition, is unwavering confidence in God. Unwavering confidence in God. This is what trust is. Abraham planned on coming back with Isaac. He said to his servants, we will go and worship him. We will return to you. When Isaac asked his father where the lamb was for the sacrifice, Abraham's reply not only shows sensitivity towards his son, but great confidence in the Lord. My son, don't you worry. God will provide the sacrifice. He knew that God could not be unfaithful. God had repeatedly given his word that Isaac was the son of the promise. And so Abraham knew that if he required him to kill his son, that God would restore his son to life. When you come to know God as your heavenly father who cares more for you than any earthly father could, you can give him everything in your life and know that you can trust him with it all. And that's the third takeaway for this weekend. And that is God blesses us by always providing the very things that he demands of us. God has not asked you to trust him with anything that he has not himself given you. I want you to think about that. Your children, your relationships, your job, your finances, your health. In verse 11, as soon as Abraham revealed the intent of his heart, What did God do? God called to him and prevented him from carrying out the sacrifice of Isaac. He showed him a ram caught in the bushes. God provided that substitute. God provided the sacrifice, the burnt offering that Abraham needed in order to spare his son. Now, I've got to admit, I'm not for sure I could do it. (laughs) I'm not for sure. I'm not for sure how far up that mountain I could get with one of my girls if God did require that of me. He doesn't, and I want to make that clear. He does not require that of any of you, of any of us. But if he did, isn't that the question? It's not just how could God ask such a thing, but how could Abraham do such a thing? He had to be senile. Thankfully, that command will never be repeated again, but it begs the question, why would God go so far? And let me offer this to you to think about. And that is, if God had only asked Abraham to go and sacrifice one of his lambs, would Abraham have felt the desperate need that he felt at that moment? (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't. This was a life and death matter. And I believe God let Abraham get to the point of raising the knife to slay his son to show him his desperate need for a substitute. A substitute that God himself would provide through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And so the question that we should be asking now isn't why would God test Abraham in such a way? Because we know the answer. The answer is clear. The question we should be asking is, what has God allowed right now in my life in order for me to see just how deep my faith can grow? The question we should be asking when we face these challenges, when we come to these crossroads in our life, these things that are required of us, is how deep can my faith go? Oh, we want to scream time out. I just can't take it. Why would you do this to me? That's why he gave us Abraham and Isaac's example. So that we would feel that deep need for a substitute. What am I experiencing right now that brings me to the point of ultimate surrender and trust? What has me on my knees right now? Desperate for the substitute God provided as a once and for all sacrifice for the things I haven't trusted him with in the past. The things I've worshiped instead of him. The sins that have separated me from the one who created me. What is it that God's asking you to trust him with? I know, I know he's asking you to trust him with something. It wouldn't have snowed three inches by surprise last night. And yet you made it through to come here. He wouldn't have brought you this far up the mountain that you've come in your life only to face this challenge, this desperate need for him. I know for Arthur, his brother Willie had a heart attack last week. And his blood counts are so low that they can't enter his body to give him the stent that he needs to survive. And so every day, every day it's an on and off thing. He's in desperate need of help. I, I know John Smith who was here last night. He's going in for knee replacement tomorrow. John's, John's on his own. Who's going to help John? Recover while he's unable to do the things that he, he usually does. There are people here in recovery who, who need that reassurance every day, that person that they can call. And that's why we have the meeting on Monday nights at, at 7 o'clock so that no matter what stage of recovery you're in, you can have that group. What about Mariah Mayfield? I know you all know Kyle. He stands about three feet above us all right over here. But his young, beautiful wife, mother of their two children, last week became numb on one side of her body. Can't even feel the difference between hot and cold. And then as she lay in her hospital bed, her left leg became heavy and unable to move, but just a little bit at a time. Test after test. Still unclear what's going on. She's at home today just kind of making her way through the house to take care of the kids and to take care of Kyle who's been just beside himself over the last 10 days. What to do? So many of you, so many of us, we have come to this place on this mountain 
And we need, we need a substitute. We need someone to stand in, if at all, just for our sins, but for all of these other burdens that we carry. And Abraham's test today reminds us that God, through Jesus Christ, is that substitute. He's here. He's here and he stands in the gap. If only we'll surrender to him. Now, I know most all of you today, like I do every week, and I know most of you have surrendered your life to the Lord in baptism. But if you haven't, that's the first step. I know that more of you are here today, though, that have things going on in your life that you need someone to pray with you about, just like we were going to pray with Arthur about his brother Willie, just as I prayed with John last night, just as many of you are praying for Mariah right now as you're finding out about this. You come and you receive prayer. Maybe you come not in need of a recovery group, but you come in need of a church family that will walk through you, walk with you as you grow in your trust and go through the tests of this life. Whatever your need is, I hope that you'll take this opportunity. You've come such a distance. Go the rest of the way and come to him today. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you for today. We thank you for your word. My goodness, such a familiar account to so many of us, but yet, Father, so many revelations. As we think about our life and the present situations that we're in and realizing, Father, that we have yet to surrender these situations to you. We thought we'd surrendered it all, but now there's more to surrender. And Father, we thought that we had a good idea of who you are, just like Job. He had heard of you. He was the most righteous man that lived, as we've read over the last couple of weeks. But, but Father, as you allowed him to be tested and tried, Father, he recognized so much more that, yes, his ears had heard of you, but but through this, his eyes have now seen you. Through what? Through trusting you, through not cursing you, but through leaning in to you and the promises that you've made. Father, may we do the same. May you give us the strength and the courage. May you provide for us what it is that you ask of us according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.